Welcome to my podcast, Midlife with Courage, where my goal is to inspire you, a woman who wants to step outside of her comfort zone and live an amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy. I'll share my experiences, stories, and interviews with other amazing women that are meant to help you take those first steps towards something fantastic. So let's not wait another minute to get started. Hey everyone, Kim here, and I'm so excited to share with you that my website has been updated. I have some new information on there. I have changed. I have taken some things off of there. Um, there's couple more ways that you can reach me. And so check out www.midlifewithcourage.com. You can go to the free resources page. There's some cool things there. Um, go to the page called Connect with Kim, and there's some opportunities there for you to connect with me. Um, lots, of, um, lots of different things that you can check out. I would love for you to do that. One of the best things that I'm most excited about is there's a link to my products online that I am selling in uh, the Smith and Trade Mercantile shop here um, locally. However, there's products there that you can buy online. And so even if you live across the country, you can still get the Midlife with Courage products through that website. All right, check it out and let me know what you think. Have a great day and take care of your beautiful self. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Midlife with Courage. I'm Kim Benoit, your host, and I'm so happy that you're here. I'm also very happy to have my guest here with us today. Her name is Joanne McConville. Welcome to Midlife with Courage, Joanne. Thank you. And Joanne is coming to us from Ireland, correct? Northern Ireland, yeah. Northern Ireland. Okay. Um, you have an amazing story and I can't wait to jump into it. So why don't you just, first of all, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now. Hi, so I'm Joanne McConville. Um, my background is um, nursing. You know, I've been a nurse for nearly 30 years, but I suppose you can't call leaving the front line nursing as such anymore. So I started on the front line and moved up to assistant director level in the health service. Got a bit disillusioned with it and the bureaucracy and I love change. So I left and started up my own business, Clarity Change, um, and then decided to write a book that can tell you all about it. Yeah. More importantly, I am a mother of five. Um, I'm married to Joe, who is part a big part of the story for 25 years. Um, I have three grandchildren, beautiful grandchildren, and that you know is the main part of my life, obviously, and works just secondary to that. Yes. Oh, wonderful! And I know we're doing this on video. If you could see this lovely lady, you would not think that she had grandkids. So tell us about your story. Um, you wrote a book about a situation that happened. Um, so just you start, you tell us, tell us all about it. We want to hear about you. Yeah. Well, 25 years ago, um, I was 27, blonde and tall and um, apparently beautiful. Didn't see it myself. But my passion was skydiving. And I started skydiving to help get a wheelchair, an adapted wheelchair for my disabled son. Um, we didn't have one at the time. and He was born with very serious hip um, problems that resulted in a lot of surgery. He was basically didn't have any hip sockets. So we couldn't lie him out flat. We couldn't take him out. Um, plasters were very difficult to manage. So I thought, 
like thousands of people I'll go and do a jump for charity because that'll raise a lot of money I'll buy the wheelchair not realizing I would get totally hooked on it and do another 64 jumps after the first one 64 yeah yeah I've been doing it for three years and I was at that stage I was extremely busy I was going through a separation um, which was very difficult so this was my way out my three boys were very young at the time so there were all the perceptions about a mother doing sport um, especially dangerous sport when you have young kids mm-hmm. and mine was in the 90s so um, I came from a very conservative background so that certainly wasn't appreciated within the family and I was the black sheep because I was jumping out of planes but absolutely loved it um it was my freedom and just absolutely loved the whole skydiving experience Um, I'm sorry to interrupt but that is one thing that scares the you know what out of me um my daughter has done it and she she says I I loved it but I'm not going to ever do it again but is it if you said it's like freedom do you feel like you're flying as you're jumping out of a plane there's sort of two bits to it so yeah you control your fear you know you learn to control your fear so that you can get the buzz from it you know you Uh, really of course you're scared of course but that's all that's the whole buzz Um, Uh and really two parts and you go out into free fall and it's very noisy very fast very noisy um you get that adrenaline shot and then you open your parachute and you're floating down to where you're going to land and you've time to look around at the beauty of it. And if you know Ireland at all, you'll know how beautifully green it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, with the mountains and the sea on one side, we had a beautiful place to jump. Um, and then when you land, you, know, you get the best adrenaline jump you'll ever, or feeling you'll ever have. And I describe it as human heroin because uh. it's such a high so that's what I kept on doing so at the stage that I had my accident I was experienced but I was still trying to learn particular maneuvers in free fall so you know I was still jumping with an instructor and we were trying to get things right that hadn't worked for me beforehand so by the stage we'd gone to the three years to the year of my accident my parachute instructor was also my boyfriend and so we had agreed not to jump together you know pillow talk if you've ever taught anybody to drive that's your partner you just don't go there and it was coming home all the mistakes I was making so um basically we decided not to jump together and another part was that we'd never jump together when the kids were with us in the drop zone because obviously one of us would then be down on the ground on the particular day there was a whole series of events it was like everything coming together to the perfect storm and we broke those rules it was a beautiful day in April absolutely gorgeous spring we hadn't been jumping for most of the winter because it was such bad weather so this was one of the first jumps going back you know to jumping again and I had just an intuition that I wasn't to jump, uh, which was very unlike me, very unlike me. And I was usually the first person on the list. But leading up to it, I'd had recurrent dreams that were horrible. I just wasn't for me that particular day. Um, So I had brought the kids down 
so that they could we could have a picnic on this beautiful day and just wait for Joe, who was my instructor, to finish his course so we could all go home. But when I got back to the drop zone, it had been very busy with students. There was a fantastic buzz around the place and all our really good friends were there. So I was asked to fill the last slot in the plane. And one of the students wanted to go up in free fall because he had a time window that he had to do his first free fall. So the plane wouldn't take off unless I went. And the only instructor left was Joe. So we decided, yeah, we'll leave the kids with our, our good friends. And he would take me out and show me what was going wrong whenever we landed on the ground. Very nervously, I got ready and went into that plane on that day. Um, we went up to six and a half thousand feet and I was to do turns and free falls. So everybody else was out of the plane. I was the last one there and Joe was to come out on top of me and give me an aerial critique and come down and explain then afterwards. So got out, did my first turn uh, within the first 10 seconds. It worked out brilliantly, absolutely fantastically, went perfectly. So I tried to do a second one, knowing that I still had height. You know, I was only at five and a half thousand feet, so it's still a time to do a second one. But when I came back round after the second one, Joe had made a split second decision to come down in front of me. And we, because you're falling at that speed, you're at terminal velocity, you feel like you're not falling at all because you know two people are going at one time mm -hmm. and at one speed so you don't realize you're both falling um joe realized that we were going too low um so by that stage i was at about 1500 feet joe tried to get into me to open my parachute he he tried everything he could to warn me that we were going too low um but then the only way to break me losing altitude awareness was for him to open his parachute so he opened his I immediately realized that we were far too low pulled my main canopy but I had an activating device on my kit that if you went through a certain speed a certain height it would fire off the reserve so the reserve came out at the same time as the main canopy and completely tangled so what I had over my head was like a bundle of washing you know, it was tiny um, and there was no way to separate the lines at all. There was no way to cut them away. Um, they were at such high tension. It just looked like a big, long streamer. So I couldn't cut away or do anything. So automatically I thought, all right, this is it. I'm going to die. I started to speed up again and swing. You rotate really badly. So there was nothing really I could do. And I just assumed I was going to die. Um, the total panic, absolutely horrific panic. But then as soon as I thought I was going to die, I was lifted out of my body. I could see everything below me. I could see it all happening. I could describe the malfunction from above when I landed. And then I was sucked out of that place into a gorgeous, gorgeous setting. It was beautiful. The ultimate calm, gorgeous colors. I was in a field. Um, in a clearing in a field and I just can't describe how wonderful it was but it was absolutely beautiful and I was given the choice at that stage whether to live or die and the only thing left in my head was my voice 
their faces, their smells, their everything was just so high, heightened. It was very, very strong. I chose to live, obviously. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I chose to live, it was like a hand going into a glove. I went back down into my body really, really fast. And I can only describe it as I was out of my body, literally out of my body. I didn't have feet, legs, whatever. But when I went back in, I was seeing through my eyes again. I had a, you know, I had a body and it was very, very strange sensation. As soon as I, as soon as that happened, the ground came up to grab me. You know, when you're falling at that speed, the, you don't feel like you're falling anymore. I was back in free fall. So the ground comes up to get you and I hit the ground in a clearing between two runways. Uh, so I was extremely lucky. It was at the point of a triangle of two concrete parts and I landed on rubble in between those two runways. Um, and it was hard. <laughs> so I can describe it. <laughs> um, hard doesn't describe how hard it is at that yeah. speed. Um, it just goes through you like an electric shock and I wow. bounced and landed on my back um, and just totally dazed and totally amazed as well that I was completely alive <laughs> and conscious and still there. And I could see Joe spiraling down to come and see what had happened. You know, he was obviously in a massive panic. He could see it happening, could see it happening on the ground. So he knew he was thought he was coming to, to get a body. Oh, um, so I had a lot of breaks, you know, I, I got away very lightly though. I broke my leg and my pelvis and my arm. Um, the worst damage was done to my face. Um, my chin went up into my nose, basically. I lost all my back teeth, broke all my facial bones, but oh. um, they put me back together again, which was great. Uh -huh. um, and I just had a couple of internal injuries, but no spinal injuries, you know, oh. a small fracture the back of my head but I'd worn a helmet that day which saved my head uh -huh. um so yeah I, in hindsight I go away really lightly at the wow. time it did hurt like it did tickle a bit <laughs> it smarted a bit it smarted <laughs> a bit oh my gosh understatement of the year I think it was very painful but I didn't go unconscious until I actually was put to sleep for surgery you know so I was wow. awake um for about six hours before they got me to theater um so yeah it was incredible to survive it uh, but it did take about a year and a half to recover physically mm -hmm. of course I was watching everything that was going on um but I couldn't speak and I couldn't hear because my ears had popped so I was watching everything going around me and if a drip you know, emptied I was turning it off I was checking my respiratory <laughs> in case they missed it when they gave me so much morphine um, and uh, it's a nursing in you <laughs> and all those stories about never actually talking over a patient when you're making their bed just went out the window I knew so much about the nurses private lives and just sat there and put it all in because it was certainly more interesting than lying recovering oh that's um, funny so but the main thing I would say 
that really scared me. It wasn't my um, injuries as such. I thought I, somebody would make a mistake and kill me when I'd survived. And I kept on thinking, what bad luck would that be? I'll survive this and somebody will give me the wrong medication. I think just holding my hand and telling me I was going to be okay would have been the biggest deal rather than telling me the ins and outs of my injuries because I sort of knew them anyway you know but just the comfort and the understanding of trauma Mm -hmm. and what it can do because it was horrendous it was worse than any of the physical oh I bet. And that's such a good message for people. And do you think they did that because you are a nurse or you were a nurse? Um, Or do you think that's just, they were so focused on your injuries and, you know, the medical part? I think that the physical side of things was totally disjointed from the mental health. Mm -hmm. So we have a very um, separated service. So of course they were trying to save my life and probably I didn't know quite just how they you know how much they were trying to save my life Mm -hmm. but right from the start it was horrendous I couldn't sleep I had terrible flashbacks every time I moved my head I had flashbacks you know grass coming up to get me the absolute terror the shock of what had happened and basically you're going from having a wonderful time doing something you absolutely love totally independent and fit and healthy to total dependence in a second actually in a minute and 10 seconds so the trauma just of that and the enormity that I could have died and the shame that I I had actually put a parachute on my back and survivor guilt about other people that would have died you know it sounds quite but I couldn't stop thinking about other people that would have died in my same situation so there was a lot of guilt around that. So what did I survive for? Why would I survive? But the trauma was lasted, has, is still there. Obviously not as acute, but for years afterwards, you didn't talk about it. You never was asked about to begin with because people only wanted to see you recovering physically and to get into any more in-depth questions about how did you feel? I was always talking about the impact on other people, like it was awful for Joe or it was awful for my family and oh my poor kids. And it wasn't until about a year after that anybody actually asked me, well, how was it for you? And I just cried for six months then. (laughs) Oh, and that that released it, huh? That let it out. No, well, you know, it just, and then I just bottled it up for years because I went, signed myself out of hospital after about 10 days against medical advice but I just wanted to get home didn't realize that I wouldn't be able to get up the steps I wouldn't be able to get to the toilet because mine was upstairs um Joe had to become my carer really quickly uh-huh. uh, so he had to puree my food and get me everything I needed so I, I couldn't open my mouth to eat um, but if anybody's in that situation a hot tip is chicken dinner pureed with gravy uh-huh. and it is gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry good tip for you. Yeah, yeah but um, yogurt gets a bit sickening. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of things that um, I remember. Uh, so, but the trauma side of things, nobody knew 
how to deal with it. There wasn't in, there wasn't internet. We were just getting internet. There was no social media or mobile phones. Um, but that meant that you had no information. And the specialty of post-traumatic stress disorder just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know when my moods were all over the place or that Joe and I were really struggling because both of us had been involved in the same, same one. He blamed himself completely for what the actions of him. Yeah, I saw it as a whole jigsaw coming together. There was lots of different um, pieces that came together that day to cause the accident. So his was only one little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't ever blame him for it. You know, absolutely not. He made a split second decision. We all do those things. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I put the parachute on my back and you're accountable for your own actions it did take us a long time to work through and I was very disassociated from my friends Um, I would be in a crowd but be outside it I'd never feel part of a crowd and even to this day I like one-to-ones I, I uh, wouldn't you know, go out with big groups around things I, I would be there and jo- apparently joining in but in my head I wouldn't be uh, uh, but I was very lucky as well. I had the near-death experience and that experience of being in this beautiful place. And although I wanted to go back there lots of times when the recovery was hard, mm-hmm. it is a go-to place I have now. Mm-hmm. And it's imprinted in my brain like it was yesterday. So I can still picture it and can get into a very calm state again. Uh, but there were downsides as well because to get back to that place, I would have had to die. And obviously I didn't want to do that, but depression is a big thing with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then addictions to pain relief because uh, you used pain relief um, to block out what had happened as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was very sore. Yeah, obviously it was very sore, <laughs> but... <laughs> it also served a purpose of giving me a nice big hug and you know that's something that you know, was very difficult to go without then in years to come mm-hmm. so I have to be very careful that I never go down that line again because it will always be there mm-hmm. um, but these things I know about myself now um, but it's taken me a long time to work it out sure. so I'm up through my career um, went back to nursing on a busy surgical ward but I couldn't cope with the level of trauma because it was re-traumatizing me I was sucking it in like never before you beforehand you're quite detached from your patients but I was just reliving everything with them sure um, because of my near-death experience I don't fear death in any shape or form I don't want to at the minute but I know that what's there ahead of me so I know it's only a transition um, and a lot of people won't believe that. That's <laughs> fine. So grand, at the start, I didn't talk about it because people didn't believe me and oh. um, that this could happen. But I don't care now. It's a real memory in my head and people can take it whatever way they want or leave it. Sure. Um, so whenever people were dying and on the ward and you were resuscitating and 
you know, may have been a person that had really struggled to that stage and their quality of life wasn't great. I didn't like taking part in it um, because I felt that they would be so much better, you know, passing away and having that experience. And because when you would be there and somebody was allowed to die with dignity, then I would be holding their hand and you would sense that spirit going somewhere. You would sense that energy leaving. But it all got too much. So I went into management instead and went up through the levels of staff um, and enjoyed it. Loved working with people. Absolutely loved being leader. But your values get compromised, especially when everything that you're left with, when you're in a situation like you think you're going to die, you're only left with yourself nothing else matters so any other bills you have or worries you have on this earth aren't there there's no point and all you're left with is yourself and your values and what you believe in and what's so a lot of that was compromised as I moved up through to senior management which became cutthroat and I couldn't see why other people didn't want to change or didn't have high standards or um didn't necessarily be nice to people and be civil to people and that is so the most important thing is love and civility because why would you not you know it takes up more negative energy being negative and you just in the workplace because at the end of the day I have never heard or thought when I thought I was going to die or hear anybody say when they were dying was oh I wish I'd work more you know, they always say, I wish I'd done this. I wish I said that. I wish I'd made up with that person. There's a lot of regret, but it's never about work. Right. So, yes, it's very important. But, you know, it's only part of your identity. It's not the whole thing. Right. Um, so I learned a lot um, over the last couple of years when I left then the NHS. I learned so much uh, about myself because COVID struck and my business didn't do well at that stage. So I thought, what am I going to do next? Um, so I'd always wanted to write a book or to write down just um, what happened. And I wanted to explore, did it make any difference to my life? Looking back, did it make a difference? Um, and what I learned from it and what kind of person I am now. And was that to do with the accident or the near-death experience or relationships or, or what was it? So I had kept a diary the first year of my accident, the year after. And I found it, I happened to find it in a box of special things I kept, but we moved house and I found it again just at around the same time. And I have a lot of good friends that were there on that day. So we started the conversations then about what happened. And then one day I got up and said, right, I'm going back to the site. I'm going to go back and see what I feel like whenever I go back to the place where it was, because I hadn't been back for 27 years. Wow. So just wanted to have a look and see. So morbidly, I went back to the site. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Who <laughs> goes to the site of their accident? <laughs> I didn't find any teeth or blood or anything else, but I went um, I went down and it was real awakening because it was in clearing, but all the bushes had grown up to be trees. 
So the whole circle of where I landed was surrounded with trees. And it it just felt like you'd walked into this place I'd never nobody had ever been in. You wow. know, it, it was all briars and nettles and the undergrowth was up. But when I went in um, with my daughter, um, my daughter hadn't been born at that stage um, of the accident. She was born three years after the accident. Um, so she hadn't been there. She hadn't heard. She'd heard all the stories, but she hadn't seen the place. She hadn't seen the drop zone. She hadn't been involved in any of that like the other kids had. So she came in with me and it was overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. I could feel the pain again. I could feel all the feelings again. Um, the little mound that I landed on was still there, poking through the bottom. But it felt very safe. It felt like I was safe in the trees. But as I was looking up, I recognised that piece of sky. And it, when I was on my back after the accident, I was focusing on that bit of sky above me. And I actually recognised it when I was there. And that sounds bizarre. So I was saying it to my daughter, you know, I recognise that. So that's why the book has become my piece of sky. Yeah. Because that's the title should have been then. So came back out. Um, obviously, it had opened a can of worms going back down there again. But... I was just so relieved I'd survived. You know, I spent my whole life thinking I've survived for something great. You know, I'm going to achieve something brilliant because I survived. But now I realise you don't have to be great to be great. You know, I had a, I've had a really brilliant life. I have a fantastic husband. The kids have all grown up to be really lovely human beings, despite me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never had to lift them out of a police station. I've never, <laughs> you know, they're okay. They're they're lovely to people. So yes. that's really all. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start writing it down and maybe it's not a self-help book. It's more a book about um, if somebody who is going through trauma or a similar situation, might re it might resonate with them. You, so they understand some of the symptoms. They understand that they're not alone in going through that. And very much that, yeah, you can get help, but you've got to help yourself. You know, you, you've got to go and find out about it, read about it, try other things, because you can't rely on services always being there for you. Um, and just take time out and accept that, yeah, it did happen. And you're living with it. You're not recovering from it. You're living with it to the best of your ability and you know now I I was very lucky like I ended up running half marathons and uh, you know getting very fit again I replaced the endorphins from jumping with the endorphins of exercise oh, okay. um, so now unfortunately I'm 54 and that doesn't work quite so well but <laughs> <laughs> you know I recovered very well it took me about 10 years or 15 years to get my teeth back in um as that uh, bone grafting and things and they built up my cheekbones so they could put the teeth in um so that was about the longest part of it all my other injuries healed um you're left with a bit you know residual pain and arthritis and whatever else but sure 
ground. <laughs> yeah, well, I have those things, and I didn't fall out of a plane, so <laughs> you feel it makes you feel alive when you have a wee reminder. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, it's it's been good, but I'm glad that I did write the book. But it is like putting your life out there, yeah. and a lot of things people didn't know. Um, so I've given all my baby out to the world I had to work through that and it was very cathartic actually putting it down in writing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's one thing I would say writing whether you publish it or put it in a book or whatever writing it down is so valuable because mm -hmm. it gets it out of your head but it get, it also shows you how you've improved uh, so if you're something and you're in it you know you're depressed or you're having other mental health issues or even you're writing a diary it's so good to be able to look back and see how you've improved. It's a real bonus. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, lots of people write books. I think everybody has a book in us. Um, but apparently only about 1% of us actually do. Ah. Um, so I've already thought of book two, three and four. Ah. So <laughs> I was going to ask, are you going to be writing more books? <laughs> well, I think uh, the areas in it. I only you know, glossed over so I'd love to write more about near-death experiences and write more about um, physical health and mental health together and what it's like to be a nurse as a patient because mm -hmm. there are chapters in the book but there's so much more to them mm -hmm. um, or I might write you know more in the third person and make it into a story because I would have put a lot more into that um, I had to be quite reserved um, because my father's still alive and really I didn't want him reading the details about the parties and skydiving. Um, <laughs> there may be other ones come out that, um, <laughs> no, uh, but seriously, you know, there's areas that you could cover a lot yeah. more, but um, this is just launched in April. I'm not going to do anything um, just yet but you will see I'll see how it goes on I enjoy yeah. doing it it's very a very new thing to do yeah um didn't really at the time but yeah, of course. <laughs> looking back on it it's like childbirth you forget the pain but uh. um it's, <laughs> you know, it's great to have it finished and out there and learn what it's like to be in that process and it yeah. did help but it also brought it also brought up a lot of different issues as well that now I'm going to have to sort out uh, right. at some stage um, mm -hmm. but yeah it's, it's amazing something so long ago can remain so much with you for your whole life right um, yeah and it is what you do with that and it is what you do with your life you can either be a victim of it lie under it or get up give yourself a kick up the backside and as though as difficult as that will be and as many people that will say to you are you not over it you know you won't be you know you won't be completely you can't take away experiences that you've had whether they're good or bad um, and memories that you have but really it is living with them and how you're going to do that and don't listen to what other people are saying you they will not know what's going on in your head and if you suck in all their different perceptions and assumptions about what you are like or what you did, then it'll drive you crazy. You know, it really will. So 
know, what I could say is just be really true to yourself and have a good look. Don't be scared of it. Have a good look at yourself and then do what you want with that. So some wonderful messages um, that you have given us today. And I thank you so much for that. Um, so where can we find your book? It's called My Piece of Sky, correct? My Piece of Sky. And I have a website that you can get more details in general, mm -hmm. but you can go straight through to Amazon to buy the book. And that's www.joannemcconville.com. Okay. Or and you can go straight to Amazon and buy it as well and I'm not sure what other book suppliers you have but okay. we have different ones over here potentially so there would be in the big stores on their online selling and um, okay. but the easiest thing is probably to go through the website yeah I would encourage my listeners to go to your website and check it out and read more about your story and um, there's a link to buying the book there it's it's a nice website I like it so check that out joannaconville.com and we will put that in the show notes as well so people can um, have an easy way to get there from here so and I also do public speaking on the uh -huh. book and aspects of it and on stories so you know, the world's a small place and I really don't mind you know, speaking to anybody that wants to listen about it so awesome any awesome. opportunities can come through the website as well I feel like we could do a couple of podcasts with you just to, to talk about the different messages. I mean, the healthcare thing. So that's, yeah. yeah. So Joanne, thank you so much um, for being my guest today and sharing your story and your messages. And I would really like to have you come back again another day. <laughs> no problem. That would be great. Awesome. So, well, you take care for now and we will talk to you soon. Okay, no problem. And all the best. All the best to your listeners. Thank okay. you. Okay. You've been listening to Midlife with Courage, and I hope that you've been inspired and motivated to live your amazing life. I'm Kim Benoit, and I want you to live every moment. For more inspiration and motivation, check out my website, www.midlifewithcourage.com. You can read more about my story and find links to more great information. Take care of your beautiful self and I'll talk to you soon.